0: So uh, preparations for this sermon began like all of the other sermons, looking up the lectionary text on the Vanderbilt lectionary page, sending the scripture references and the sermon title to Zena weeks in advance. And if I had my way or my say in the laws of homiletics, I I would say that everyone must name their sermons the way friends' titles were named. The one where Jesus calls Peter Satan... The one where Jesus feeds everyone, the ones where Jesus does all the things. It's easier that way. Today's passage seemed easy enough. Money, how we use it, how the church ought to use it. Easy, right? Not so easy. In fact, one of the commentaries started by saying these words, exactly. The gospel text sizzles and spits like a backyard grill. That includes the guest pastor or seminarian or associate pastor in this case who innocently agrees to preach on this lively text while the the called pastor is away on vacation. (laughs) In today's lectionary text, Jesus has some harsh words for this younger sibling, which I imagine is the younger sibling because this younger sibling comes and tattles on his brother. And we all know it's the younger sibling, because if you've grown up with younger siblings, you know that they're the ones who are always making sure that everything is even. As my brother used to say when he was little, even-steven, or fair-square. I mean, just because Jewish law said that he was only to get a third of his family inheritance, this kid was not having that. He wanted everything to be distributed evenly. Fair-square. But Jesus has a warning against this man. He says, take care. Keep watch, Jesus says to him. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist of abundance of possessions. Now for good measure, Jesus adds a story of a landowner whose crops produce so much that he has more than enough for himself. In the story we read that this landowner has a meeting with him and himself and says, self, what should we do with all of this abundance? You know what we should do? We should tear down what we have right now as our barn, make a bigger barn, and store it up there, all for ourselves. Good job, self. You've done a real good job. You now you see, Jesus, he's not talking bad about saving, right? Because we see many stories of Joseph telling the Pharaoh to save up crops for when famine comes, we see, we hear about the, the harvest being plenty in other instances in Scripture. But the thing with this particular farmer was that he was storing it up for himself, without the thought of anyone else in mind, just for him to eat, drink, and be merry. Now, we don't exactly live in an agrarian type of system anymore, right? I don't know if any of y'all are farmers in here, um, But we do have our own metaphorical barns, right? Maybe not filled with grain or with corn or with other types of crops. But what are the other things that we like to store away and keep to ourselves? Maybe out of fear, maybe out of jealousy, maybe out of anger. Like I mentioned earlier, usually we have to send these sermon titles weeks in advance and, of course, that pesky Holy Spirit tends to start moving maybe three or four days before the sermon. Or perhaps maybe the news, the news pops into your Twitter feed or you're on a push notification on your phone. And this week was no different. Yesterday, I'm sure as many of you all got the notifications of a mass shooting in El Paso, Texas, where 20 people were killed in a Walmart. And, friends, this morning I stand in front of you with a heavy heart, as I'm sure most of y'all have as well. More news of another mass shooting, the third one this week. More deaths and more questions of why. And the shooter's answer was to get as many Mexicans as possible. Siblings in Christ, your black and brown siblings are in fear for their lives. And while these tragedies cross racial, socioeconomic, and gender lines, it is clear how white supremacy has been the driving force behind this week's tragedies. And we cannot, as people of faith, we cannot ignore the sin of white supremacy and its role that it has taken this week. What we store in those barns and keep to ourselves does not benefit anyone. And just like what we store in those barns, white supremacy is a poison to the soul. And we must work together to relinquish its power over our communities. Today's passage does not end with a solution, right? Aside from being rich towards God. That's Luke's solution, being rich towards God. But what does that mean for us? Luke doesn't give us a clear answer in this passage, but I'll venture to guess that being rich toward God looks a bit like a Samaritan tending to a man in need. Or if we want to go a bit further back into the Lucan text from two weeks ago, perhaps it looks a bit like praying that we see the kingdom come a bit more clearly here on earth as it is in heaven my friend Kathy, uh, she's a pastor in Waco, um, has an inquisitive little boy by the name of Judah. And a three-year-old Judah loves asking questions about God, and I love hearing these questions that he asks unabashedly. One in particular that he asked this week and that has stuck with me as I prepared for today was this. He said, Mom, if Jesus is in heaven and in my heart, does that mean heaven is also in my heart? Y'all, I think Judah is on to something here. Every Sunday morning here at First Baptist D.C., we lift our corporate prayers to God. When we confess of our sins to God and God's people, after we've praised God for the blessings of life and of health, after we've lifted the names of our siblings who are in need of healing and of comfort, we pray the words Jesus taught his disciples to pray the words that Bruce led us in just a few moments ago. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Or, as Judah might say, on earth as it is in my heart. The kingdom, I suspect, must first start in our hearts. The kingdom of God sees the toxicity of white supremacy and Christian nationalism and says it has no place here. The kingdom of God takes you and me and love and resistance towards hatred of God's children in order to expand it. What do you store in your barns? Can you open those doors wide and share with those around you? Or does the content of your barn need to be destroyed? Whatever it may be, it will wither away, as the teacher so happily says in Ecclesiastes, reminding us that it's all just dust. In Colossians, we are encouraged to put, a little, important, to put little importance on earthly things, because ultimately... It doesn't matter the amount of goods, guns, and gold that we've stockpiled in the big old barn, because those things will wither away. But what will remain and what will float on in time and universe is how we cared and welcomed one another, how we cared and welcomed the poor and the sick and the chained, what will remain is what we did or didn't say or do after tragedies such as yesterday's. The kingdom of God is saying enough to hatred and saying you are enough to anyone who has ever felt unworthy. And when we come to this table, set with elements from the grains and the grapes picked by the migrant worker, On plates and cups delivered by hand by hard working people trying to provide for their loved ones, given to you and to me by the hands of God's beloved children sitting in these pews. The abundant riches toward God are many because the table is set for all. Come and eat. Come and taste the richness of God's liberating kingdom.